can't believe Steve is going to get his kid on the show before I get mine on. That's amazing. Oh. Eat it, Snell. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> The Incomparable, number 130, March 2013. So, Scott, lay it on me. All right. Well, so, like I said, there are reasons, I have very different reasons for liking different episodes. Uh, And really, I just like all of the episodes, but I couldn't really say that because that's just lame. Uh, And now that I'm rewatching in order, these episodes are fresh in my mind. So uh, the first ones that I've picked are from the first season, obviously. Uh, I did like Where No Man Has Gone Before, mostly because Gary Mitchell oh, yeah. is a cool character. Great, great episode. May or may not appear in Star Trek Into Darkness. So so weird weird uh, looking because it's a pilot, so the uniforms are different. Yeah, it's just odd. But but so tragic, right? That he's like he's Kirk's best friend is basically what we're told. And because it's a it's pilot true. episode, you know, sure, okay. And then and then he gets little glowy eyes and uh and becomes a oh, murderous, yeah. horrible killer. <laughs> Kirk's best friend, I look forward to seeing more of you. Oh well. And in the pilot we have our first instance of the man who suddenly becomes omnipotent. Yeah. It's true. And uh he has to wear crazy silver uh contact lenses, yep. which uh when I watched it before, it never really occurred to me that, you know, they were contact lenses. But now I'm watching it on the Blu-ray, and it's very high resolution. And it is clear that those things must have been incredibly painful yeah. to wear. They're, they're rotoscoped in some places, but not in others. Because there's that scene where, where it fades out, and you can still see his eyes. And that's because the rotoscope was still there and they left it in because it was super creepy that yes. the, even the fade out could not stop his eyes <laughs> crazy. the eyes are pretty creepy i have to say and apparently he he the cheshire gary mitchell they had contact lenses that they had to wear he could only wear them for a couple of minutes because they were excruciatingly painful and he could see through pinholes so that's why he had to hold his head back so he could see people uh which is cool and of course it also features the tombstone of uh james, james r. r kirk mm. <laughs> who's that <laughs> Well, it shows that Gary was not omnipotent because Kirk true. played a practical joke and said that his middle name was Roy, oh. and it wasn't. Also, Sally Kellerman is in that episode, and she's she's really great too. Yes, so that's a, that's a fun episode. Um, I also like Charlie X uh, with the weird Charlie X, the weird Charlie guy, Anthony. You know, wishing people to cornfield. Mentioned that earlier, and it ends very sadly. Um, Space Seed, of course. Of course, Khan is introduced. I watched that today too. That that is a good that is a good episode. Although the the sexism in that episode is really awful, I have to say, because they they introduce Marla MacGyver as the the historian, and mm. from the very first scene, she's basically terrible at her job, and yes. all she wants to do is be in love with the pretty man that they're thawing out of the Botany Bay. Well, that's what historians do. She's a heck of a painter, though. I said to my family as I was watching, I said, "So, moral of this episode is don't let women be officers on a spaceship. It's just, just really screwed up. It's so bad." So bad. Great. But but Montalban, I mean, it's uh, if you put you could tell what episodes the writers of Star Trek Two watched before they wrote Star Trek Two. Basically, they watched Space Seed and Corbo might maneuver and put them together. Montalban's so good. You almost believe he's Indian. You almost. Well, I mean, they <laughs> I don't know whether they they change. I think at least they changed his hair. He looks co- sort of like he could be Sikh until he speaks. And then he's got 
his his a- normal rich. accent, rich Corinthian accent. <laughs> but but um, but he's so great. I mean, I I could see why you'd watch that episode and say, oh, this is 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 Ricardo Montalban available? Because this is what we should do. This is Sergio. Yeah, I remember my early days on the bustling streets of Calcutta. Although the plot holes in that episode where where um where Kirk gives him yeah sure mysterious man who seems vaguely threatening read all of our technical information and then later where he where he convenes this whole like uh trial only to say i'm dropping all the charges we're going to beam you down to a planet good luck you tried to take over my ship (laughs) no hard feelings because i think you're kind of cool even though you tried to kill me i'm giving you a planet it just seems weird i have a feeling that whole scenario probably turned out okay though I'm sure it worked it's, out of I'm the sure end. It'll Just be a fine. <laughs> well, we discussed in the Star Trek Two episode uh, how most of Starfleet crews seem to be borderline incompetent <laughs> at their jobs. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just it's strange that they get anything done. Seats to fill. Seats to fill. Study Alpha Five seems fine. It'll be fine. Well, the historian is is just an example of what it's like on most of the other ships throughout yeah. Starfleet. That's true. They're just bumbling idiots. Yeah, going through. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, A Taste of Armageddon, I liked, because when I was a kid, it just blew my mind yep. that they would have uh, the computers fighting wars, and yep. then calculate casualties, and then people yep. would just willingly go into booths and die. That's good. That's got a nice Twilight Zone feel to it, too. The whole submitting to death business. I'm glad you mentioned that, Scott, because that is on my list, very high up, and... You know, in some ways, it's the archetype Star Trek episode because, you know, Kirk is supposed to not interfere <laughs> with other <laughs> cultures. And he totally just then he whatever worldwide computer controls your culture, he will destroy it. But destroy it. I love that. I, I, that is one of my certainly one of my top five. Um, uh, and it, and because of all the things that make the original Star Trek great, that it's got the social commentary. It's a very much a Cold War story. I love the idea that technology has allowed these people to make war palatable. And that Kirk comes and basically says, I'm going to break your computers. If you want to kill each other, you're going to have to actually kill each other. And he's so aghast by how clean they've made it and how they're just going to send people to these, this horrific idea that the computers, like your number comes up and they just send you to the disintegration chamber and people go. It's like, well, I'm a casualty. I've got to go. <laughs> and, and it's it's just it's mind blowing. It's it's so great. I mean, if it, I don't go people might actually die yeah the, then then <laughs> so i'll just go and, and just go. be disintegrated yeah, and that and that kirk's reaction is basically this is crap i i i'm gonna go break i'm gonna break their society because i can't yeah. allow this to continue it was more or less just the prime guideline in season one yeah, prime suggestion <laughs> but he's totally right so it's got that it's got that kind of social twist about about nuclear war and mutually assured destruction on all of that that's going on and and it's got I just I love I love a taste of Armageddon. It's it's Kirk at his best at saying, you know, I don't care. I don't care. Your society's stupid. Your society is really stupid. <laughs> and I'm gonna screw it up. And you're gonna have to figure it out. You no, know, we only don't mess with the non stupid society. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I who am I to judge? Oh right, Starfleet Captain. That's who I am to judge. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to ask your computer. Your society's stupid, and your hats are twice as stupid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We have bad hats. But but Spock wants one. Well, we kid Landrew. <laughs> we kid Landrew. 
and Vol and all the other omnipotent computers that are out there and Norman. <laughs> they kind of have the the whole off the shoulder thing going in that episode too. It's the Eminarians and all, all of that. You know, it's just like James Kirk is tired of your crap. He's going <laughs> to turn off your computer and if you want to fight, you got to fight like for real. And, That's enough uh, of this. Deal crap. with it. I love I love that episode. So I'm glad you mentioned it, Scott, because I, I don't think it gets enough credit. I, I think no, it's, I think it's people a great episode. It is it is so awesome. Yeah. So good for that. Uh, Maktai, we talked about. Yep. Uh, mirror, mirror, I love because uh, Spock is evil with the He has goatee. a beard. Oh, That's I can't fantastic. believe I forgot to mention that one. The goatee. So the great. Goatee. And Captain Kirk has a machine in his in his quarters <laughs> that lets you basically like find anyone on the ship and make them disappear, which is awesome. <laughs> we should have been to the cornfield, the space cornfield. Yeah, and it introduces the whole mirror mirror universe, which is just Comes a great back. thing in which Star Trek mine forever series. Yeah. Uh, they may milk it a little too much, but I just like any thing that happens in the mirror mirror universe. They milk it appropriately. Did you know that there are whole parallel universes where the American flag has red stripes where the white stripes should be? <laughs> no way. It's crazy. It's insane. So I just love that episode because... Uh, What's not to love about I, that? that How can you not it's, like it? It's so great. That's Spock, and Spock with a beard, that's like the evil duplicate has a beard is now a thing, exactly. right? It's, it's, it's a thing, though, because of this. Exactly. Yeah. This is another yeah. way that Star Trek has shaped our society. I like the little twist there, too, where there's the one character in the mirror universe who we don't know which is Kirk's girlfriend, who's his accomplice. And then at the very end, she's been assigned to the Enterprise. I love that twist where it's like, oh, and now here's your mirror in this universe. It's nice. It's That's interesting that the evil Kirk can have a girlfriend, but the good Kirk has the Enterprise can't. instead. Yeah. That's right. That's his girl. Yep. Only if he were evil would he have room in his life for a woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's an important lesson for us it's all, true. I think. Yeah, and if you talk about... I talk about uh, episodes influential in the spinoffs later. I mean, the Deep Space Nine producers could not get enough of mining this episode, and and quite right. I mean, they did it, and they did. Those are fun episodes too. So I remember when those came on, I was so excited because it's like, oh yeah, because I love that. I love that episode. And in their universe, it's like, you know, we leave Mirror Mirror, and it's like Spock is going to basically overthrow everything and make everything good, which is great. And in Deep Space Nine, we learn that leads to them being horribly destroyed because. Yeah. They're weak then, yeah, because they're nice. Out. And yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> great just to see. You know, these characters. This is in the second season, so you kind of the characters are established, and then the the, the opposite of what they are. So it's it's an interesting take on it. And uh, apparently, the prime directive does not apply to parallel universes either. No, because he pretty much dorks up that one. It does not apply. At it doesn't all. really apply anywhere. Kirk, yeah, Kirk is not a big believer in the Prime Directive. No, is, no. is the Prime Directive mentioned in the original series? I just oh always, yeah yeah yeah. Oh, okay, oh, I always in re- oh, yeah. watching Next Gen. I was just like, I basically read it as like, in, you know, don't be like in, this in guy. response to yeah, Captain Kirk. To... Not not even our Prime Directive is really that. Prime. Do, how often does it mention? Is it is, is like you know. I mean, a lot. Well, half half of those Rome slash Nazi slash Chicago episodes are are showing the the unwiseness of of, uh, of violating the Prime right, Directive because yeah. most of them were caused by some dude from Starfleet. I just feel like like even if Kirk isn't big on it, you think like other people should be like like Spock should have a thing where he say like I know you're going to do whatever you want, but I'm required by protocol to remind <laughs> you about the Prime Directive. You know, now continue. Yeah, Kirk is not a believer. He yeah. he'll he'll give it lip lip service, but when he can when he can destroy the planet or the uh, computer that is dominating the planet, he'll do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, somebody becomes it. really right. important when they're stuck in ancient Rome for some reason. 
points. <laughs> well, you have to draw a line somewhere. Yes. What else, Scott? Uh, well, I mean, we we did mock these two episodes already, but I do, in fact, like a piece of the action and Patterns of Force. I like Patterns of Force mostly because there are Nazis in it, yep. and it's always fun to see <laughs> Nazis. I know you love that. <laughs> I do. Uh, Scott, Scott, once again, going on audio record for his... Patterns of Force is not a bad... Again, Planet of the Nazis makes it sound... Um, wacky and stupid but it's it it, it is it is it, it is a very it, in some ways kind of uh, what it's about is a guy who gets obsessed i mean you hear these people there were always the people who would say you know yep. in this really disturbing way like well you know hitler kind of had the right idea but he was just a little misguided true. he took it too far if he just hadn't done all the you know the jew killing and all that stuff the rest of it was good the roads were nice yeah so john gill <laughs> in patterns of force is that guy, is that guy? Yeah. and he tr- he's tries to work it out, and uh, no, it doesn't work. Doesn't, it doesn't does work not out. work. It's fundamentally evil. It's not a bad, and he's like decrepit and dying and then dead and used as a figurehead, and it's really it's not it's not a bad episode at all. No, I like it. Yeah, I mean, I, it does kind of have the feel of hey, look, we have these leftover Nazi uniforms Nazi uniforms. Yeah, episode, but <laughs> <laughs> World War Two wasn't that long ago, and. You know, even yeah. even still, I think it's pretty good. And seeing, uh, you know, Kirk and Spock, Spock wearing a helmet the entire time to hide his ears. Yeah. Naturally. And, uh, naturally. And Piece of the Action is just a comedy episode like Trouble. I think it's I, better. I think yeah. it's funnier than Trouble with Tribbles. I love the scene when he distracts the gangsters by teaching them physics. Fizbin. Oh, Fizbin. Fizbin, yes. That's the whole reason I love this episode. Except at night uh, on Thursday. <laughs> and, and well, and, and uh, Vic Tabak from Atlas is in this episode oh, as one of the gangsters. It's good to see right. Mel. Yep. It's always good to see Mel. And and there's and Spock has a hat again, and a suit <laughs> suit, and a, and, a, and a machine gun. I'd advise you is to keep styling. Right? Well, he and Kirk both oh. wear full Nazi regalia, oh, yeah. as I recall. And, well, in fact, uh, Nimoy has an SS uniform. Well, right has... in, in Patterns of Force, but in a piece of right. the action, they're both done up like like uh, gangsters with the with the pinstripe suits and all of that. And that's right, you know, and so and super funny. Um, and uh, and Scotty has to translate gangster speak into under Federation speak. Heaters are oh phasers oh right. I I love that. I love piece of the action. The kid that like wants to be cut in for a piece of the action when Kirk like inspires with the kid to fake the kid like hurting himself and so they can get into the yeah. It's I love piece of the action. It's great. That's one of my that's one of my faves, and it's and it's really it's underrated because Trouble with Tribbles gets all the acclaim. Piece of the action just as funny. That's it's hard to beat a triple with a gangster. But, it's your Vic uh, Tabak, not as cuddly uh, as a triple. It's true. It's sad. Well, I will say for Patterns of Force that uh, you get not only shirt, shirtless Kirk but shirtless Spock. Oh yes, you do because they have to get the little manacles off in the laser. That's right. Thing. <laughs> the light bulb. Yeah, light bulb laser. It works. Spock is that good, okay? He, he's MacGyver. Vulcan MacGyver. But that, that's got the whole comedy bit with him uh, standing on Kirk's recently whipped back. And, uh, <laughs> All right. Zany. Ooh, torture. That's, that's the episode also where they stun the planet, which I didn't – I wasn't sure how that worked, but – is that or in in piece of the action they like stun a whole city block right yeah from, from like, space ah, you know can you do that <laughs> yeah why yes. not yes you, you can. know <laughs> maybe those people may all have cancer now but it's space cancer <laughs> it's space them. cancer yes yeah. they're gangsters but <laughs> you mentioned a space madness a lot in the first few episodes of Star Trek I just I know I remember that the the stunning is conveniently green so it's like you know. It's just green light all over the city block. Everyone's fine. Sure. It's not red light. Red light would be bad. Yeah. In keeping with the gangster theme, the entire planet now has syphilis. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. 
minor side effect with the stun setting of the Enterprise phasers. That is a common side effect of, of Captain Kirk visiting places. So, <laughs> uh, Where Kirk goes, syphilis frequently follows. It's well, true. Yeah. Oh. Space syphilis. <laughs> Space syphilis. Oh. What happens when the Federation comes and declares prohibition over? Does the whole planet just shut down? It does. Oh, by the way, again, talking about tropes that are replayed later, in Corbomite Maneuver, um, they do the whole... Uh, you will be destroyed in 10 of your Earth minutes, which I cannot... At the time, I'm sure it was fine, but I cannot listen to 10 of your Earth minutes without you laughing look, now. You don't look for... Uh, you know, when you have a villain, you want them to do the unit conversion for you. Yeah. It's just, it looks really awkward if you die like while you're doing the math on your fingers to try and figure out how, how many minutes is that in Earthy minutes. Yeah. You will die in 17 Norbits. Well, in Doctor Who, that was exactly it. It's like the Daleks are not as, as, as kind as as Balok is and the, they're like you will be destroyed in 10 rels it's like what the hell are rels is that seconds is that minutes is that hours I don't know convert it for me hang on let me get on Google yeah yeah they're not known for <laughs> their right. customer service 17 rels in earth minutes your minutes are irrelevant sorry your earth minutes <laughs> your earth minutes <laughs> space dollars oh it's it's like it's like 40 years okay yeah. I'm cool with that <laughs> whew we got time. You go right ahead with those seven rels. <laughs> okay, Scott, what else? Uh, oh, I did mention, we mentioned Scotty, and so just a, a funny aside. The first episode where Scotty makes an appearance, I was watching it with my wife, and she said, who is that? And I said, that's Scotty. And she said, he doesn't have a mustache. I'm like, okay, it's Scotty, trust me. Movie Scotty has a mustache. Movie Scotty has a mustache. And it's uh, very large. <laughs> TV show Scotty thin, is uh, clean thin, clean no mustache. Yeah. Uh, it's important. It's like a different guy. It, it's true. Uh, Tholian Web, I, I picked right? because I, I liked the web, and it also is uh, a callback. It's called back in uh, Enterprise. Yes. Which I like. So Yeah, I always, uh, again, I, it always captured my attention. When Greg Noss and I wrote our Star Trek The Next Generation spec script in college. Nerds. It, it, fe- it <laughs> featured, yes, I, again, I said next generation spec script, Steve. I'm <laughs> I'm conceding. Um, we had the Tholians as the as the bad guys in our in our script because the Tholian web was uh, so cool. But they didn't like our script, so we had to wait until Enterprise for them to come back. For them to steal your idea, you mean? That's right. Yeah, that damn damn right. Also, um, I, I just I like the fact that Kirk is presumed dead, and everybody has to like. There's a really nice scene with Spock and McCoy where they're basically like talking about what they're going to do now that Kirk is dead and it's kind of cool well and then of course all the drama is sapped away by Kirk appearing floating ghost like <laughs> to Kirk Uhura while she's wearing her underwear but you know <laughs> ghost gym up until then yeah that's a normal thing that yeah. <laughs> Kirk you know he has a he has a machine in his quarters <laughs> mirror mirror Kirk yeah. has a machine that can make people disappear regular Kirk has a machine that lets him project his ghostly image in women's quarters yeah. <laughs> that's my kirk that would that would be a good would you rather actually <laughs> uh and my final one uh we did mention uh and it is heavy-handed uh and i only like it because the riddler is in it uh oh. let that be your last battlefield <laughs> i just enjoy uh frank gorshin uh, frank gorshin for, for, yeah. frank gorshin so yeah. it gets a, a plus one for me all right Okay, should I go? I got my list here. Jason, most of them I have would been like taken. To know. 
Most of them have been taken. I've been talking about the Corbomite maneuver. There's something about it. It's the first episode after they shot the pilots. So it's trying to define what the show's going to be. There's a surpri- surprising amount of conversation about like shipboard life but it's got kirk at his best right where he's just making things up right like like spock's like well we lost the chess match i guess it's over and we're all dead and kirk's like no not chess spock poker and he and he's like hailing frequencies open we have invented a thing that's we're rubber and you're glue and everything bounces <laughs> off of us and sticks to you good luck and you know cut it uhura and uh this giant spaceship's like tell us more about your corporate <laughs> and Kirk anchors request denied <laughs> and and they're like well we'll tow you to a planet then it's so great that he that, I mean that's Kirk right he's he he's thinking himself out of these situations it's why I say that in Star Trek 2, where he does the whole thing with the prefix code, I feel like it's lifted right out of the Corbomite maneuver. And, of course, then you get this great ending where this this uh, alien that you've seen who looks super scary, but also like a puppet, because it's a puppet, because he's an alien in Star Trek, is yes. a puppet! Neatly explains why the puppet is so poorly made. <laughs> he's when a puppet! I was watching, <laughs> when, when I was watching that episode with my lady, she was like, that is so clearly a puppet. I can't take this seriously. <laughs> like, wait for it. And, uh, and, wait know, for again, it! Once again, audience, you know, several steps ahead of the crew yeah. of the Enterprise. Yeah, but, you know, it's a puppet. Not not just a puppet, a crudely manufactured Actual... puppet without arms. Yeah, really. So. The, the whole Corbomite uh, gambit makes perfect sense because Balak, being worldly in the ways of the universe, surely knows that the galaxy is ripe with people that have ultimate power. And can yes. do whatever they want at a it's moment's true. notice. Sure, they show up all the time. And Kirk might well be one of them. Beings of pure energy. Yeah, Ooh. Corbomite. Exactly. Sounds like one of these Trelane guys. That's that's great. <laughs> that's so great. So I like that episode. It's so weird, but it's great. Uh, Scott mentioned a taste of Armageddon. Love that a lot. We mentioned a mock time. Devil in the dark. Sitting on the edge of forever. Uh, I wanted to mention the Doomsday Machine, uh, which is a, a real action adventure thing. It's got William Wyndham as commodore decker who has uh in a great like tragic moment he beams his team he beams his crew down to a planet so that he can defeat this horrible machine and then the machine destroys the planet and leaves him alone so he's doomed his entire crew to death and he's the only survivor which is the opposite of what a captain he thinks he's doing the going down with the ship thing and it drives him insane and so then he takes command of the enterprise and and uh and there's a lot of great stuff. And in the in the remastered version where they uh, – because they went back and they tried to redo all of the special effects and CGI. And I think they were pretty faithful and, and did a pretty good job, actually. I don't have a, a Star Wars kind of problem with it. No, I, I think they did it well. Um, but that, that episode actually looks great with the redone version because they couldn't like there are multiple ships and there's, you know, and, and in the old models, they they couldn't do it. And in Doom, in the in the remastered version, it looks great. It's fast paced, and uh, William Wyndham's performances. I mean, he's 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 crazy, but it's great. It's I love that episode. It's it's a it's a real great fast moving action adventure. He's obsessed. He's insane. He's extremely well acted as Decker too. Yeah, he he really gives off kind of. I mean, he seems like he's in control, and yet there's that kind of undercurrent of this guy is going to do something insane yeah. very shortly here and it's it's much more subtle than the acting you generally get on the original right series. right and kirk loses command of his ship right which is the worst thing for kirk right, right. whenever he loses command of his ship that is he he is really upset and decker outranks him so he basically says i'm going to take your ship and destroy it 
you you can't do anything about it and they finally you know relieve him of duty and he steals a shuttlecraft and kills himself and and in doing so provides the way for the enterprise to survive um as you do and i love the idea too that there's and this is this was lifted by um star trek 4 it's a very similar concept to star trek 4 where there's a machine that's coming from like outside the galaxy from a race of beings you know beyond our comprehension and like literally it's just sort of like they left it turned on <laughs> and it's now destroying us because they aren't paying attention anymore and it's sort of i mean star trek 4 you know the the machine that threatens earth is very similar to that um, and i like that it's kind of creepy that it's not an alien race that's out to get us it's an alien race that's so advanced that their detritus will completely destroy us and they don't care because it's just like junk that you know whatever let it go it's not gonna deal with it yeah your society is garbage <laughs> whatever other galaxies don't like bah. it now yeah and that, that episode was written by norman spinrad who is a, a very good science fiction writer yeah yeah there's a lot of great sci-fi writers wrote uh uh theodore sturgeon wrote a bunch of uh like at least two star trek episodes too so, so you mentioned where no man has gone before. Balance of Terror. I like Arena a lot. Um, it, it, it's it, the Gorn. Yeah, it's a guy in a Gorn. lizard suit. But I like that they're at Vasquez Rocks, the rock formation that's been in every sci-fi movie and TV show of all time ever. Um, but this is like the core of it, where Kirk has to. The, essentially, the the episode is being watched by the crew of the Enterprise, which I also love. That like That's Spock and McCoy, they're all on the bridge watching Kirk as he does the episode and commenting on it, mystery science theater style almost. <laughs> it's like if he could find some coal and some diamonds, then he's he got could, it. He's figured you know, it out. I, I, there's just something about that. I love. I love that, and I, I'm also a sucker for episodes shot on location because so many of the alien planets in Star Trek are these cyclorama things where it's the st- soundstage and it's very. It's like got a pink sky and it's totally fake. When it's not, it's the the hills just outside of Los Angeles. Right. Well, I love that. <laughs> it's it's California or a soundstage. That's all they've got. Yeah, I love it. I love it when it's when it's the grapevine or Vasquez right. rocks. It yep. makes me sad when it's the pink soundstage. Right. Yeah. Um, so arena is good journey to Babel, which I mentioned with, um, with, uh, Mark Leonard as, 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 uh, Sarek, Spock's father and Jane Wyatt as Amanda, uh, his mother. Uh, that's a fun episode because not only do we get the, 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 the Vulcan stuff, but there's this whole spy plot. Oh, that's where right. there's we like lots of alien races in that. Yeah. One, there's like we? a fake Andorian like and the they're Viking the, guys and right, they're the Tellarites. They're the pig aliens who are, who are quite quarrelsome <laughs> and, and the blue Andorians and like little tiny guys who don't say anything, but drink lots of <laughs> space alcohol space booze yeah uh and and there's that crazy spaceship that's like just like a pinpoint of light and it goes like warp 10 but you but it's a it's on a suicide mission and so it's got this kind of spy feel plus plus this great series of escalating jeopardy kind of things where uh sarek has a heart attack and he needs a blood transfusion and only spock can give it to him but then kirk gets stabbed by a spy and so kirk uh, Spock can't give up command because he's now taking command because Kirk's been incapacitated. So then his father's going to die. So then Kirk fakes being better and gets on the bridge to send Spock to go have the surgery. And then Kirk is calling Scotty to come take over for him when the attack happens. It's this great sequence of all of these things leading together that I really love um, just as an action adventure kind of thing. Plus the whole detail of like Spock's relationship with his father and 
it just I love I love that. That's a DC Fontana uh special. <laughs> That's a really great episode. Um and then the other two that we haven't mentioned that I wanted to bring up are The Ultimate Computer, which is um great cuz it's all about uh computers and technology replacing workers, which is fascinating um given the the time period it's basically i've invented the computer that can replace captain kirk so let's remove his chair and put a blinking computer in its place and of course the computer goes horribly bad and starts attacking all the other starships and all that um and there's dr daystrom who's a mad scientist who who so no i've invented the m5 it's so beautiful don't destroy my creation but but in in watching it, it it blows me away watching it now that that what what that episode is really about is like um uh you know workers uh, being replaced by technology, which is a really interesting thing and, and keeps happening. That's just part of the march of technology. And it's like, when it, when are the, the machines better than the humans at doing a particular job and what happens to the people who are replaced? Uh, which, uh, again, I love that Star Trek tries to tackle issues like that. Daystrom's backstory in that one is really cool, too, because he's he's the guy who peaked too early. and Yeah, he was a wonder nothing kid. he ever did could uh, could measure up to his earlier discoveries. And right. he got a little reckless towards the end because he was right. just trying to do something as, as impressive as his earlier discoveries. Trying too hard. And yeah. then he realizes finally that he's, you know, he's gone horribly wrong. And, of course, in the, in the uh, uh, Star Trek trying to, to do some things that are groundbreaking, he's, he's, he's black. Right. So you get that kind of like he's the computer black computer genius, which is casting. That's a bold casting decision for 1968, which yes. I think is cool too. Not not until Die Hard would we see another one of his. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And Terminator too. Right? <laughs> um, but but I love I love I love that one. And uh, and again in the remastered effects when they've got like five different Enterprise class ships, they don't have one model anymore in the remastered effects, so they can do some more interesting things than than we only have one. <laughs> Look, it's a ship and another ship, but you never see them at the same time. Um, and then the other one I wanted to mention is "What Are Little Girls Made Of," which is uh, more. It's an early first season, uh, more creepy. It's like a Christine Chapel episode, kind of, which is weird. Um, but it's it's got uh, Ted Cassidy as the giant uh, android ruck. And uh, it, it's it's got uh, it's Christine Chapel's old boyfriend Roger Corby, who is a ma- again a mad scientist, and he transfers his consciousness I, into a right. into an android body, and they're down in caves, and and they try to make a duplicate of Kirk, and, uh, and that ha- that has uh, I, uh, that episode always sticks with me as having some of like the worst wardrobe ever. Oh, because there's. <laughs> Do you remember the android? I I I want to call them dresses, but that's not really fair, right? They're. Well, and their jumps and their jumpsuits, partial torso coverings, and the, yeah, and then <laughs> right, and they're, they're like the black and the green, half black, half green. Yeah, and it's like, and then Ruck has the like sides. the gray. He's, yeah, he's in monk's robes. Yeah, because he's a, you know, giant spooky guy. But it's so it's so like gothic and weird and Twilight yeah. Zony like the, in the a big way. Spinning wheel with Kirk on it, shirtless yes, and pantsless. Exactly, exactly. Yes, that ex- that exactly. episode was actually written by Robert Bloch. Yes, uh, who, the who author wrote Psycho. Of Psycho. Yeah, that's right. And apparently, also the short stories upon which Catspaw and Wolf in the Fold were. Based. Yes, sa- sorry, Catspaw. Interesting, but but, uh, but I like that. I like that episode because it is also one of those episodes where it's mostly down on the planet, and it's kind of a 
you know, again, it's it's like I said, it's that it's almost the Twilight Zone thing. It's it like, is. It's not about the ship. Yeah. It's about it's about we put these characters in this weird situation where they're down in these caves uh, that are like go on forever. You get the sense, and it's this android like Ruck. The android has been there for thousands of years, and he was found by Roger Corby, and he remembers the old ones, which were this whatever the race was that created them that has since disappeared or died or turned into a being of pure energy, like you do on Star Trek. <laughs> It happens, but, yeah. but 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 it's kind of creepy that like you know the humans are playing around with all this technology, and yet there's this big hulking android who uh, remembers back when there were the really smart creatures who built this place, and you guys are just fiddling around with their leavings. And I I, I like that, so I like that episode. Um, and the ones that I don't like, so Miri, which is the planet that looks exactly like Earth but isn't Earth. And all the adults die, but the kids are alive. Don't do an episode with kids. Just don't. <laughs> but these kids are like twenty-five-year-old kids. <laughs> well, so. I know that's it's true. It's like every extra from a- any uh, kind of like '30s movie of like, uh, hey there. Uh, I-, I don't know. Tell him, Jim. Tell him, Jim. Tell him, Jim. No, blah blah blah. I I like I like the idea behind oh. that one a lot more than I like the actual execution. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole, right. I the mean, whole children of the corn, creepy kids exist, and the parents are gone in some way. It was yeah, it is is a nice idea, and it was actually mined a little better by Star Trek a little bit uh, later with uh, and the children shall lead them, right, right, which is which is also kind of a bad episode, but also yeah, slightly better in terms of the execution. You know, Miri Miri's got some creepy parts in it because you know once you get over the fact that this is a planet that's exactly like Earth except whatever like they shrug some, it some off. of us get over that um apparently, apparently others the, do not you know it's 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 i don't understand that it makes no sense but <laughs> but but it is it is creepy because it's the post-apocalyptic world and all of that but it ends up being i don't know it falls apart i don't i don't like miri so much i i don't what? sorry she's very nice hmm. but whatever um, the I put the alternative factor down on my list of hate episodes. That's the one with Lazarus. You may not even remember this episode. It's, I do not. There's a there's a guy with a beard named Lazarus, and oh, he's this got is a the ship. Guy who has there's the bad one and the good one. Well, that's it. So it turns out there's also another Lazarus who's bad, who's from a parallel universe, and they keep switching. It's terrible. Happens. It's so <laughs> terrible. It's not actually called Lazarus. It's called something else, isn't it? No, it's called Lazarus and anti-Lazarus. Yeah, they're both Lazarus, but yeah. I think this is one of the ones that I did not quite stay awake. It's so bad. Through. It's so bad. See, people, again, Planet of the Nazis, not as bad as some of these other episodes. Yeah. Um, Cat's Paw, we mentioned. So bad. The Empath, we mentioned. Terrible. Uh, Scott, I'm sorry. Let that be oh. your last battlefield, which is essentially the same episode as the alternative factor. I love, again, I love the fact that Star Star Trek tried to do um social commentary but when it's literally one side of me is black and the other side is white and you the other side is black and one side is white and therefore we must kill each other can't we all just get along man it's so painful we are the best sneeches on all of the uh, beaches and so preachy and and literally it's like I don't know what's going on. They're yelling. They're grappling. Now they're not grappling anymore. It's very much like the alternative factor, actually. It's it's kind of nonsensical and preachy, and I don't like it. Sorry. Frank Orshin. Yeah. Yes, that's good. Yeah. I always I always took it the ridiculous premise and uh, yeah. heavy-handedness. 
as a way of amplifying the ridiculous nature, you know, the ridiculous idea of of racism, of racism, yes. exactly. The, of, you know, it's yes. so ridiculous that we will make this ridiculous episode. Yes, the episode is just as terrible as racism is. <laughs> well put. Wow. Well, well put. It's that bad. See, it's very successful because it's just like racism. <laughs> um, and then the last two I have are uh, uh, again, it's these episodes that you even forget exist. That which survives which is a third late third season episode which has nothing to commend it it's like a cyclorama planet and then there's this woman who appears and kills people with a touch and it i i, I whatever 40 years later i still don't understand why there's a story there it's a it's 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 terrible and nothing happens and in the end they like shrug and like well some people died i guess <laughs> yeah. we'll go back to the ship you know, some days it's just a mission, you know? <laughs> you know? You, gotta, you gotta fill out the reports Red and you go on to the die. next planet, you know? We gotta, we gotta scan each planet. They're not all gonna be right. exciting. If you're gonna talk about an episode that has the, like, prototypical red shirts dying, I mean, I guess it's the whole, I mean, right, from, from, from the man trap all the way through that which survives, you have that. But that which survives, just, there's nothing, it's, it's the most uninteresting star trek episode of all time it's just nothing it's awful it's just nothing blank emptiness pointless and then (laughs) and then on the other extreme is the way to eden which is space hippies including chekhov's girlfriend and they come we reach right and spock plays his like auto harp his vulcan (laughs) auto harp and there's some singing and there's like a hippie cult leader with big ears and it's um oh is this the spores the spore no 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 that's the side of paradise which is yeah not a bad episode but spock hanging from the tree tree with a big grin yeah yeah Uh, Yeah. oh no i have not yet seen the way to eden another another spoiler his pretty blonde girlfriend no the way to eden oh steve you have so much to look forward to i can't wait that is a that is yes it is space hippies that's that's when you really feel rejected technology but still are on a spaceship. Yeah, that that's yeah. where you. That's where it's like um, the Amish taking a cab. It's like that kind of. It's it's. <laughs> Sometimes um, you have to do it. That's where you hear the the '60s knocking on the door of Star Trek and saying, "Hey, it's the '60s, man. Pay attention to us." And it's so terrible, wow. so terrible. So those are the those are the ones. You know, I love this show dearly, but there are some episodes that I find it almost impossible to watch. And the way to Eden, the, but the Empath, I think, is the worst one. I think that's oh. even. I think that's the worst one. So that's my list. And we, I can't believe we didn't mention The Enemy Within, which is a not a bad episode where Kirk gets split in two. Yeah. And I just watched that episode. Also a little it dog. A, a little dog yeah, with a horn say, gets a split in two. A very cute little dog in a very bad little costume. <laughs> yeah, poor, poor, poor space dog. <laughs> what, did, what did you do to deserve to have a, a little a horn strapped to your head? You know? Yeah. It's just, it's just weird. They just use it as a prop. People are carrying the dog for no particular reason. Does it have a funny strange. name? Like, is it? Do they claim it's something else, or no? It's just like a space dog. It's, it's got a, a horn. They it's totally say. normal to be walking around. A they don't say. They just found space. it on the planet. Yeah. And so they took it. And up so and let's and... experiment on it by beaming it through the <laughs> broken just, transport. You know, <laughs> I just if you bring a space dog home, like don't bring it to the bridge. They right end up know? killing the space dogs. So. The thing that bothers me about the enemy within is that is I'm not quite sure what it says about gender politics and masculinity i'm not sure i can endorse it for what it says because it seems to suggest that um that totally masculine kirk is a rapist an alcoholic Mm -hmm. but also 
like bizarrely flamboyant and over the top. And then, yes. and then, other Kirk is—he's wearing eyeliner when he's super masculine yeah. for some reason. And, uh, and other Kirk is is strangely passive and effeminate in a in a different way, and and yeah, can't, and can't make, make any, any decisions. So I feel like I feel like when Kirk is split in two, you know, both parts are kind of moral, <laughs> kind of questionable in right. terms of the the writer of the. Well, it's, episode, it's only when so. the two counter each other that they're half they're halfway I decent. I guess. The lesson is that Kirk is more than the sum of his parts. I guess so. That's not the lesson. He must be, because his parts are bad. I've got some questions about the gender politics of of of, of the enemy within. And one of our uh, listeners in the chat room asked about the Galileo Seven. I like that episode. I didn't put it on my list, but you know that's the whole you know Spock has to deal with anti-Vulcan racism yes, and also that's right. from somebody other than Bones for a change. Yeah, so Spock has to deal with anti-Vulcan racism, the the burdens of command, and also like abominable snowman gorilla people who throw big rocks made out of uh of plastic at it's a lot to deal with <laughs> at the shuttlecraft and then in the end spock creates does an illogical thing uh and and uh for no good reason and that's the thing that <laughs> saves them which is just like in your face spock <laughs> take that, that logic so i like that i like so i like that episode that's that's a really uh i didn't put it on my list but that's a really um claustrophobic episode right they're in the they're in, there's that short you know small amount of space outside the the shuttlecraft and they're in the shuttlecraft and meanwhile back on the enterprise basically kurt is kirk is arguing with a diplomat or a, a bureaucrat or something like he does we got to get to our next place that happens in like eight episodes where there's a bureaucrat on the bridge who's like snap to it kirk i got a thing in a box that i need to take to a starbase and I want it there to yesterday. So move the ship. And Kirk's like, you're not the captain. I'll tell you what. I'm going to find my people first. And that's right. Tell, you tell them, Kirk. You tell that bureaucrat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that's a thing. but That's how you tell in uh, the the one where Kirk is duplicated, which we were just talking about. The name escapes me. The enemy uh, within. The enemy within. within. Exactly. He's like, let's just leave. Well, I have problems with the enemy within because – you know, Sulu and four people are trapped on a super cold planet. Yeah. And they, they check in with him every once in a while. And he's like, oh, it's like negative 80 degrees. And he's not wearing – he's wearing his regular uniform. <laughs> yeah. They should totally all be dead. Is that, the, is that the first appearance of heating rocks with the phaser beam? Yes. That's, yes. That's, yes. That's, that's nice. Which is very clever. Can we beam but, down uh, some blankets or do they split into good blankets and evil <laughs> blankets? <laughs> it's Well, they try to beam down heaters, but they don't work. They don't so. work. Yeah, this one's got burrs in it. A, oh, it's a bad blanket. It's yeah. one of the evil ones. Don't just don't use the evil blankets, people. Yeah, yeah. The evil blankets come with uh, with eyeliner, apparently. <laughs> eyeliner and smallpox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, Kirk was not in his Native American form at that time. Or else oh man, it would have all been over pretty early on. I in the am Kirok. Kirok. <laughs> wow. Um, well, that's oh, Star Trek. that's that's the thirty to forty year old perspective, male perspective on the series. If you're interested, yes, I would like to the, hear what your daughter has to say. Feminine perspective on the please, Star Trek please. original series. Uh, there's there happens to be one right here who needs to go to bed very soon. So, hello, 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 hello. <laughs> Tell us what you like about Star Trek. Well, everything. <laughs> That is the correct answer. That's good. <laughs> are there are there certain episodes that you remember really liking? Well, a couple of them, but one of my favorites was The Naked Time. Okay, so why do you like that one? 
Well, mostly because um, when Sulu was shirtless and he was roaming the ship with a sword and he was threatening to fight the crew. I really like that, too. Where he's la- he's la- like laughing and and yeah. dancing around with his sword and has mm-hmm. no shirt on, and he's all sweaty. He's like yeah, very excited about fighting people with his sword. And all the people run away from him because they are cowards. <laughs> he's the only guy on the spaceship with a sword. That's really scary. I don't want to mess around with Sulu when he has a sword. It's true. It's true. I think they could have stunned him or something. But <laughs> do you have other ones that you like? Well. I like the one where they're in a time like Nazi Germany. Oh, right. Me too. Good choice. Because <laughs> Nazis are cool. <laughs> right. But they're bad and they have to be defeated. <laughs> That's right. It's it's a complicated relationship. Exactly. And Spock and Kirk, ha- they're like locked up and they have to like use the, they make like a little laser to get themselves out of the, yeah. out of the prison, right? Good. Any other, any other ones that you really like? Another one that I really like is the one where there's two Kirks, good and evil. We were just talking about that one, and that's the one where there's the little dog that they, that turns into the like the good, the mean dog and the nice dog. Yeah, that poor yeah. dog. Do you have a do you have a favorite character? Well, probably Captain Kirk. Who who else could good you choose? Right. Well, I like Mr. Spock, but Captain Kirk is pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so even though this show is like really old, it's like more than more than forty years old. Um, you know, it, I think it's really cool that you still that you still like it and that you and your dad are watching it. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's different from stuff that you see today, right? But yeah, there aren't any other shows I think from fifty years ago, forty five years ago that people are still watching today. Really, like people your age, especially. Yeah. All right. Do you, are there any things that you don't like? That Any I episodes? Don't like. Yeah. What? What? Yeah. What don't you like? Well, some of the episodes where they just land in different places in time, like some of the ones where they're just. One of my least favorites was the end of season two, I think, where they were trying to make a spinoff. Oh yes, Assignment Earth mm-hmm. with the with the with the girl and the and the guy who's like a spy and yeah. uh, that and that black cat. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the Star Trek people aren't in that very much, are they? There's just like, no. yeah, very confusing. It's just yeah, it's just R- Roberta and Gary Seven and the and the rocket. There's a lot of we keep seeing the rocket a lot in that one. Mm. Yeah, and the cat, little black cat. <laughs> okay, well that that's great. I'm glad that you could share your uh, your uh, your thoughts about Star Trek with us on the podcast. That was really good. Thanks for thanks for uh, doing it. Yeah. And staying up late on a Saturday night. Ooh. Well, thank you for letting me talking. Thank you for telling us about Star Trek and how you like it. That's good because we're all old people. So it's good to hear what you lo- you think of it. Yeah. Hello. That was pretty awesome, Steve. Yeah? Yes. Yeah, that was great. I, I felt a, a new, a different perspective was necessary since... I I think so. I've been toying team with... old, team young, and team extremely young. Yes, team, team old, <laughs> team slightly less old, and <laughs> wow, and a team yeah. actually young. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. I love that she's watching them. But like I said at the beginning, you know, my kids have been watching them at, uh, kind of over my shoulder. They're, they're like, 
some stuff I watch and they just they just blow past. But with Star Trek, they kind of stop and and watch it, which is um, um, actually does amaze me that that anything made that long ago could still be even processed by people born in the 21st century. It's true. I don't know how it's possible. Me neither. That's great. So you have a few episodes left, right? You and your daughter? Yeah, we've just finished uh, some, the Day of the Dove, I think. Oh. Which is the uh, the entity aboard ship that's causing the, uh, yeah. the Klingons aboard to fight yes. the 40 non-trapped uh, members of the, the uh, right. Enterprise crew. Commander Kur, one of our, th- what, three great Klingon commanders that's in Star right. Trek. <laughs> Who's fairly non-warlike, actually, in this. No, no. He's uh, he comes back in Deep Space Nine too. You yeah, never know does. about those Klingons. I mean, they go between the Kling- basically the Klingons, like slightly Klingons or Klingons. Uh, you know, sometimes they're slightly brownish, and sometimes they're more brownish. Sometimes they have weird eyebrows. Sometimes they don't. It, they explain it. It's not worth getting the into. budget. The budget <laughs> was not. The budget was not. You know, they in Enterprise they explain why the Klingons yeah, look the way they do, uh, and I, I prefer the explanation in Deep Space Nine where Worf says, "We do just, not speak of it." Yeah, that's <laughs> just let it go. They that's are Klingons. Good. We All do right. not speak of it. Well, it, it, it is. Go. It is a little sad that the the primary uh, competitive races with the humans are swarthy. Only- People. Well, they only really differ in uh, really eyebrows for the most part. <laughs> yes, and ears sometimes. Because you have you have darker skinned people aboard the Enterprise, so that's not really a difference. Well, that's even in the trouble with tri- Tribbles. There's the the Klingon that passes as human, right? Oh, you're right, Tony. That you get the uh, Charlie Brill, right? The uh, Arn yeah. Darvin yeah. is the, he's the Klingon this man's in disguise. A Klingon. Yeah. <gasps> yes, because Tribbles I, I don't like him. Tribble. Yes. Yeah. That's. <laughs> That's the great thing about Tribbles. That's that's it. <laughs> they can detect the the, 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 Klingon, the Klingons or the Klingons. Tribbles love everybody except for Klingons. Well, yeah. Because they don't like eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. That is yes. the trouble with Tribbles. That is. Mm-hmm. They don't like Klingons. They have hate in their hearts for Klingons. And that is the trouble. Shame on them. Horrible. They're racist. There's an episode (laughs) with a Klingon who's got a bumpy head on one side of his body and a knot, and then another one where it's reversed. And it's all about racism, man. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. They really are the most hateful of space's bath implements. (laughs) Sentient scrub brushes. Yeah. They're they're a – what are those called? The, the the little puff, puff ball, some that, kind of puff thing. No, they're a loofah. No, that's not a loofah. Loofah is like a, a, a sponge type deal. I thought the triple is not a space loofah. Well, no, no, it's no, some sort you're of. All, you're wrong. No, I don't okay. Know. <laughs> I I I apologize to the race of tribbles. <laughs> I'm sorry, tribbles. Wow. <laughs> now now who's the racist one, Jason? I know. I know it. Yeah. She was on the Smooth other foot. Move. Loofas, tribbles, they all look alike to me. Maybe you should watch Let That Be Your Last Let Battlefield that again. Be your last battlefield. Who, who can tell Jerk. the difference between a, a powder puff and a loofah? <laughs> they all look alike to this guy. I know. It's all the same. There's in uh is it, it, it there was an episode that I was just watching today that said, Oh, it's Space Seed. And it's like, well, the uh 
the people on the ship are from all the parts of the world, uh, you know, North America, Latin, Oriental. And I'm thinking, oh, oh. no, <laughs> don't you try. Don't. No. But, you <laughs> but they don't know. In the 23rd century, they don't know about your space racism. They are past it, man. That's they right. don't know That's about right. taboo words because they're, they're, they're colorblind. It's a colorblind society, man. Unless you get stranded on a planet with Spock, and then it's all out the window. Oh, yeah. Well, the Vulcans, I mean, now they... Well, they, they suck. Green-blooded. <laughs> you know, to be honest, the blue eyeshadow, I think, is what really turns people off. That's true. Who are they trying to fool? His uh, Spock's uh, yellow pallor appears to change a lot from episode to episode. It they didn't know like, what they were doing with him. Uh, yeah. They, they were very Those undecided. early episodes, he is extremely yellowy, except for his blue eyeshadow, of course, and then sort of fluctuates. And is... And in in the cage, doesn't he have like kind of reddish? Uh, oh I heard yeah. That a, a, yeah. I read. I, I have unfortunately read Letter D Boys. Uh, I think two of Letter D Boys biographies. <laughs> oh, wow. Unfortunately, yeah. by accident. I am not by Spock. Accident, yes. It was you know. I am not Spock, you. and then he later does. I am Spock. I am Spock. Yes. Yeah. I read. I am not about, Spock. Wait. One biographies or autobiographies? Would, yeah. Autobiographies. autobiographies. Oh, Leonard in his own yeah. word. Yes. I, yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, or maybe they're ghostwritten. I don't know. But I guess the early versions of Spock were much more like demonic, basically, and he had he had red face, a reddish tint, right? And I think they wanted him to have a tail, but yeah. probably that wasn't in the that budget. That might explain so. all the yelling then, too. Right? Yeah. Pe- people were not big on that though. He was so yeah. The, the like, his best line in the original pilot is they they beam away, um, they all get on the transporter beam, but only uh, number one, who is Major Barrett. And the, the the yeoman, the two women, they beam off because they're trying to find a, a mate for, for Captain Pike. And all the men are still there with their rifles. And uh, as soon as that, that uh, moment happens, Spock steps forward and shouts, The women! <laughs> <laughs> That's his big moment. The women! Wow. The women! It's funny, yeah. I guess a commentary on the times, the fact that they, they have this one alien character on the bridge, aboard ship. It's yeah. kind of like mm-hmm. the, the key, the, the other, you know. Yeah, well, that, but that even the then, woman, they couldn't make him completely Vulcan. He had to be half human, half Vulcan. for people to be able to still relate to him. Well, it, so in the, in the original pilot, it was unclear whether he was half or not. He was just the guy with the pointed ears. But they had the the female first officer, right? And the uh, great irony is that the, that a, a space alien uh, on your bridge crew—that's okay. fine. A woman second in command, mm, yeah. Nah. Wait, wait a second. (laughs) So they got rid of her. She wasn't at the helm. What's to worry about? They turned her into a blonde nurse instead. (laughs) You come a long way, baby. (laughs) Uh. And the voice of the computer. And the voice of the computer. That's true. That's true. A horribly screechy voice of a computer. Yes. Uh, Still still a computer. Yeah. Computers. Kirk would have killed. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we could do a whole separate episode on technology in Star Trek, the original series. Oh, it's fascinating. You know, they got a lot right. I mean, a communicator, you know, it's not, it doesn't go into space, but it's a little flip out, like, phony thing, kind of. But they have all the little, all the little switches that get flipped, which I, I, makes me laugh. It's like, Sulu, do this complicated thing. And he, like, flips the switch. Boop, goes, boop, boop. All right, Captain, got it. One, yeah. got it in one. Um, but the thing that actually amuses me the most of all the technology in Star Trek is the, um, is the uh, the the fact that they couldn't conceive of a network 
of, <laughs> of shared storage, of a computer storage. So they've got these powerful computers that react to voice command and, and that there are databases and all of that is we take for granted now, but I think was really smart on their part. And yet they have this real uh, connection to like tapes and record yep. tapes, and you here's a little those and they're tiny, right? They're they're yep. like little memory cards they're or blocks something, of plastic. which is yeah. cool because again, that's really forward thinking that there's like these record tapes, but but they're not they're still sneaker net, right? Yeah, and and they couldn't get over that to be like if only we could network computers yeah. together somehow. Yeah, like yeah. Con, he says like it'll McCoy will tie you in to our 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 record tapes. It's like, oh, you're so close. You're just, you're so close. Which is interesting because close. there are apparently like seven or eight places aboard the ship where you can take control of the controls <laughs> yes. and lock out the rest of the controls. Yeah. Engineering's the best place. But Engineering yes. is the best place. There's nobody down there except Scotty and the synchronized no. leaning squad. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they wander off a lot, yeah. apparently. It's like so. the rest of engineering, they stare at things, and then when the ship lurches, they all fall to one side. <laughs> and then they lean to the other side. <laughs> That's their sole purpose. The, the computer really runs the ship. Yeah. Those guys are there for Honestly, the, the, the bar to entry for the engineering degree has really gone downhill in the yeah. 23rd century. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> all these computers. Yeah. Yeah, it's all automated. Those guys are just there marking time. Yeah. That's right. Waiting to be shot because they were on red shirts. Scotty just he, his his purpose is to claim that things can't be done while doing them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This is impossible. Yeah, and we're done. Well, that's okay. beautiful, good though, go. right? I mean, that was that would which is played up in uh, in the the episode of Next Generation where he's on where oh, he tells yeah, Jordy, right. "You didn't tell him how long it would really take, did you? <laughs> Don't do that. You got you never be you'll never get a reputation as a miracle worker if you do that. You got to say no. It'll take months to do that. Oh, I fixed it." Honestly, if there's one one person aboard ship that should be concerned about being replaced by a computer, it's that dude. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Majel Barrett Roddenberry could very easily say, the, the engines can't take much more of this, Captain. <laughs> well, <laughs> Steve, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say, do I have to flip a switch and say hailing frequencies open? Uh, oh. Hailing oh, frequencies uh, open. Hailing uh, frequencies that's open. That's important. Thank God you were here, Uhura. It was great that they cast Nichelle Nichols, and she was, by all accounts, a, an inspirational figure. But especially early on in the show, they didn't really have yeah. anything for her to do. Later, she does she an had awful lot of biting the back of her hand when something is yeah. terrifying. Yeah, but she just did a lot of. She was like running the phones. She was the receptionist on the Enterprise, which is not a big step forward. I now, think. does she in fact do the keening wail that accompanies the beginning credits, or is that somebody? <laughs> no, else? no, that's someone else. That's somebody because else. I heard her. Uh, I think it was the the space shuttle farewell ceremony, and uh, she mm. was standing there at the podium as a speaker at that, and she began by doing that. There is a great um, photo of Nichelle Nichols and Barack Obama both doing the Vulcan salute in the Oval Office. Wow, <laughs> that's worth a, worth a view. That's just one of those things. Like I cannot believe I am looking at this picture Amazing. of the President of the United States and Lieutenant Uhura. Both giving me the live long and prosper salute. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, the Romulan uh, candidate. Yes. Yeah. Well, really, as as y if if anybody hasn't seen the John Hodgman um, uh, bit where he he's at the uh, the Washington press corps dinner uh, a couple of years ago and does a whole bit about how the nerds have inherited the earth and 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 essentially what he's saying is is uh, 
Obama, you're, you're a gigantic nerd, right? You understand all of these references I'm giving you. And at one point, he mentions the Vulcan hand salute, and Obama, unprompted other than that, just does it. And Hodgman is beside himself. Like, he, he doesn't know what to say. He's like, I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's worth looking on YouTube. It's a, it's, a, it's a really funny bit. All right. I think we're. I think we've beaten this up. This is like an eight-part episode now. Oh man, we might like Star Trek. I think is what we've come to. So Star Trek sucks. Basically, <laughs> it's not that good. Star Wars is totally better. And I think no. we all rec- oh, no! recognize the great importance of Star Trek, with, without which it's doubtful we would have ever gotten the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> oh, that is uh, certainly true. Oh, man. true. You ever, true. You ever have these things that you manage to like remove from your memory, oh, and then other people just hit you in the in the face with them? I prefer <laughs> Leonard Nimoy's <laughs> recording of <laughs> "If I Had a Hammer." If I had a hammer, actually, uh, highly illogical is quite a good song. Oh, highly illogical! That is <laughs> the way he combs his hair. <laughs> Oh, so man. so before we go, one last thing I wanted to say, because we, we talk about Star Wars and Star Trek and, and, the, and the battle between the people who love Star Wars and the people who love Star Trek. And I, I like Star Wars a lot, I, I, a lot. Uh, and it just wasn't the Star formative Trek. thing that Star Trek was for me. But the one thing I'll say about where Star Trek has the advantage is that Star Trek as a television series allowed you to spend a whole lot more time with the characters, the original series, as well as all the all the spinoffs that have happened. And the one thing about Star Trek coming back as a movie franchise, which I think J.J. Abrams did a, did a great job of revitalizing it. I love seeing those characters, the, the original series characters again, um, and, and young, because all the movies were about them being old. So having them be young and setting out in their first adventures, I think is great. But the fact is, with these movies, you know, f- you see two hours, and then four years later, you get two more hours. And there's something to be said for the time that Star Trek was able to take on TV to uh, spend with these characters. And that's something that Star Wars, you know, Star Wars, as great as it is, that's three movies with with Leia and Luke and Han Solo, and that's yeah. all we got. Less than six hours and, total. And the TV do. special. Uh, right, it's less than six hours, and then of course our podcasts, which were about twenty hours long, <laughs> and this one, which is nearing that. Yeah, so so I, I think that is Star Trek's great advantage, which it's losing as a movie franchise, which is why I hope eventually they will go back to TV with some form of it, because you know there's some things TV does better than movies, and I think the reason that so many of us have such a a, a soft spot in our hearts, a, you know, a warm feelings toward. Star Trek is because there are are um, so there's so much of it, and we get to see these characters over time and learn lots of little things about them. Whereas with movies, whether it's Star Wars or something else, you're left parsing little tiny beats. You know, one in the Star Trek movies, these characters get a beat or two, a plot point or two, and that's it. Whereas in Star- in the series, you could do you know, sometimes good and sometimes bad, but you could have whole episodes where there's a subplot about, you know, Chekhov or Sulu, as simple as Sulu just running around with a sword, right? In Star Wars, you have to guess when the characters are probably getting laid. In Star Trek, exactly. you know. You know. You, you know. see it start to the happen. The boots are off. The boots, oh, the boots are back. <laughs> and I know it just happened. On. Exactly. If they had cut back to Han Solo in the Millennium Falcon as they're going to Cloud City and he's putting his boots back on, then we would know. The command That's blouse right. was off. Yep. <laughs> That's... 10 to 25 seconds. Yeah. But anyway, that, that's that's the one thing that I, I, I say is that I'd say the big difference between Star Trek and Star Wars is Star Trek has always had more time because they've had episodes, you know, Star Trek original had three years, Next Generation had seven years, 
to to tell stories about these characters and and they feel you know it is a little less special but it's also just a lot more time with a lot more depth and you can get the corners of the characters in a way that you know star wars just can't do as a movie franchise so although that may change very soon based on the way things are going now it seems like we're gonna get young yoda stories soon apparently (laughs) sure it's an inverted world yeah up is down it could be ig88 and me (laughs) the tv series that's right coming soon to fox yeah i saw that show it was called knight rider yeah Um. (laughs) and the thing i like about star trek uh, over Star Wars, and I do like Star Wars. I, I don't want people to think I don't like Star Wars because I do. Uh, I love Star Trek. I like Star Wars. Is that Star Trek is very optimistic, and it's about the the future of humanity, right. and it tries to deal with these thing these these big topics that are important. You know, it's very it's rooted in the present, but it's set in the future, right? So that's the cool thing about Star Trek to me. Star Wars, they start off right at the bat and say. This is in a galaxy far, far away and a long time ago. These are not humans. This is a completely different place. They look just like us, but they are not us. This has no real bearing on the world now. Uh, it's a kind of a, fa- a fable, or a, you know. And so that's a different kind of storytelling. But I think it's less. It, it is less impactful to me because of that kind of separation from uh, the world. I just like the mini skirts and the, and the cheese. <laughs> That too, and the fact that my daughter and I have something to bond over. Yeah, that's all good yeah, too. Fun. That's all good too. I love, I love that that uh, style. Even though it's not entirely sixties, you get the you get the miniskirts and all that, and it's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. It's truly <laughs> alien now. Not right. complaining. And I will say the uh, the Blu rays are. Uh, I just got them of the original series, and it, they look fantastic, spectacular. Uh, because they shot it on film, so there's film. much more That's resolution right. than we ever saw on those old reruns. And then they also redid. You can watch it with or without the new effects, but I yeah, think the new effects think are great. I think the new effects are nice, and they did a they're well done a surround audio mix that's really nice. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, they did a fantastic. Uh, CBS and Paramount took. I guess it's just CBS took a lot of time to get it right, and I think they did get it right. Uh, and of course, uh, it's great that they've included the originals, so that for you know the purists out there yeah. can watch the old models if they like. And, I have and seen only people. the CGI-based ones because that's what's streaming on Netflix, yeah. but at this yep. point I, I might go out and invest in the Blu-rays just so I can play uh, Spot the Fishing Line, which I think <laughs> that's half the appeal to me of the old That's an easy game. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is very easy. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit. Again, it's one, of those, it's one of those drinking game items. Fishing Line, Shirtless Spock, uh, I'm Shirtless Kirk, Spock's hat. He's dead. Yes. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a... Yeah. Hill of the Black, yeah. And it's on the Blu-rays. It's very with a press of a button, you can switch from the uh, original special effects to the fancy special right. effects, which is kind of cool. Yeah, they did a great job. Finally, a good use of Blu-ray. <laughs> it's true. At the end of Star Trek, it always amuses me to see that it is a Desilu production. I don't know why. It just does. Yeah. Because that is that company is all forever. I love Lucy. Well, just like early Twilight Zone. Uh, yeah, there was something about how they the yeah the the production company got bought by Desilu and then it was sucked up by Paramount. But but uh, yeah, so and they shot it at the Desilu Studios. So yes, Desi Arnaz, I'm sure had a had a had some money out of Star Trek there. Sure did. It's bizarre. And now it belongs to CBS, even though it aired on NBC because it went through Viacom. And I guess Paramount does the movies and CBS owns the TV, and it's this weird kind of alliance between the two of them. In fact, I believe Desi bought his long, long trailer specifically from residuals from Star Trek. There you go. <laughs> so, so yeah, the Blu-rays are good. That's uh, I, 
I uh, they did a good job. They did, uh, you know, they had the film, so the HD masters were there, and and you could make it look really um, amazing. Like the show that I watched, whatever every episode fifty times, and you see things that you didn't see before because it's that much clearer. And then yeah, they did the right thing with the special effects, which is they they really said what would what were they trying to do right what right. would they have done if they could have done it and a lot of times it's just some subtle camera movements it's the lighting where you've got objects lighting other objects where they weren't together in the other ones so they didn't <laughs> and then some things that didn't make any sense that you like couldn't get a sense of where the 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 ship was on the screen or whatever just little subtle things but uh, you know did a really good job where it's much more kind of watchable and, and it's clear what's happening and then they fixed some weird stuff like sulu had a like uh in corvamite maneuver he's got a countdown that didn't make any sense it was like the numbers were wrong and they just replaced it and now it makes sense and it it works again so they did a great job and they even redid the titles so like the the typography in the the titles is uh it's super clear hd yeah yeah, yeah. So that's great yeah kudos cbs good job as far as I'm concerned, the uh, the new ones can go pound sand. Harry Mudd shot first. <laughs> <laughs> and, on the, and on that note, I'm going to close up this episode of The Incomparable. This has been great. I've had a great time talking about one of my favorite shows of all time. I realized today that you know, I always pussyfoot around the what are my top five shows of all time. I know what my top five shows are all time. And I know for certain Star Trek Babylon Star- 5 is that, on that there, Star right? Trek, the original series is one of those five. It just is. How can uh, I deny it? it? It's a formative part of my childhood and I still love it today. So I'd like to thank my guests for joining me talking about one of my very favorite things. Uh, Steve Lutz, thank you for being here and thank you for bringing your daughter along too. That was really great. I'm a panelist, not a Walmart greeter. Damn it, Spock! <laughs> you're welcome, Jason, and uh, you're welcome from my daughter, who is hopefully in bed at this point. I I hope so. I feel like I should go to bed now. You know what? Had we not had this discussion tonight, we probably would have watched a very bad episode of Star Trek. Ah, yes. <laughs> oh. The way to Eden. It's coming. Uh, Tony Sindelar, thank you very much for joining us tonight. It was great to have you here. There's always time for Fizzbin, Jason. Except on Tuesdays at it's night. True. Well. Then you have a half fit. So. <laughs> That's what we call a shrulk. Oh, it's very bad. Yeah. And Scott McNulty, this is the episode that we were made for. I, I agree. And live long and prosper, Jason. Thank you. I think we uh, and we worked this out that I'm Kirk, you're Spock, yes. Steve yes. is McCoy, um, and Tony, you can be Scotty if you like. <laughs> I was like, it's going to be a red shirt, isn't it? Uh, uh, Nurse well, Chapel. You can be Sulu. Uh, you know, I'm okay. I, I, I'll just be a red shirt. Okay. I'll, I'll die, but I'll serve the Enterprise. Anson Johnson to the transporter room. Oh, boy. It's my big chance. <laughs> Thanks to everybody for listening to us talk about uh, a show that's almost 50 years old for a very long time. <laughs> it keeps getting older. And it keeps uh, the longer we go, the older it gets. <laughs> Until next time on The Incomparable, thanks to everybody out there. We'll see you next time. And Scott McNulty, my partner in Star Trek and all things. Whoa. <laughs> in life. <laughs> this is the episode that, you, that, that we were made for. I, I agree. Live long and prosper, Jason. Thank you.
We will we will live long and prosper together. Apparently, since we are life partners <laughs> in Star Trek, life partner. Hey, no, it's the 23rd century. It's there's, there's nothing, nothing wrong, wrong with that. that. Which one of us wears the mascara? Secretly, Jason likes goatee McNulty a lot more than clean shaven McNulty. <laughs> the evil Scott is the one with the with the clean shaven uh, face. He's the rogue. It's true. The bearded Scott is the good Scott. Really. Ah, uh, have you heard? Kind of stories? wacky parallel universe is this? 